0: Our second lesson is taken from the Gospel according to Luke. I will begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 23. This is from the New American Standard Version. Then the whole body of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, the King. And Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. And Pilate said to the chief priests and to the multitudes, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. Now when Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean, and when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at that time. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length. But he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been in enmity with each other. And Pilate summons the chief priests and the rulers of the people. And he said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I find no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor is Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they cried out all together, saying, Away with this man, and release Forrest Barabbas. He was one who had been thrown in prison for a certain insurrection made in the city and for murder. And Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept calling out, saying, Crucify! Crucify him! And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I find in him no guilt, demanding death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were insistent with loud voices, asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand should be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to their will. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. And when they had led him away, they laid hold of one Simon a Cyrenian coming from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And two two other also were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to a place called the skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on him and even the rulers were sneering at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him and offering sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above it. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him and saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him and said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying to Jesus, Jesus remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Amen. On Sunday, we begin to think about Palm Sunday in the assertion of our Lord's authority as a king. He entered into the city of Jerusalem in great triumph. Not as Pilate with a hundred horsemen in front of him and a hundred in back of him. Not as Herod being carried on the shoulders of others but meek and lowly, riding upon a little donkey, even a little colt, And yet the people were so impressed by him that they took their clothes and spread them in the way so that that donkey's feet would walk over them. And the palm branches they cast in his presence reminded them of one of their great national heroes, Judas Maccabeus who had cleansed the temple and they thought surely this one who has raised Lazarus from the dead, this one who has walked on the sea, this one who has fed 5,000, he will deliver us from the yoke of Rome. He will be like Elijah. He will wreak vengeance upon the enemies of God. He will do things our way, the way we want them. He came, but not to do things the way we want them, but to do things the way God wants them done. In a very real sense, we were all there when he was crucified, because it was our sins that put him on that cross. And so whether we have the genius of Bach to write O sacred head now wounded with joy and grief weighed down, or whether we are a humble Negro working in a field chanting out across it, were you there when they crucified my Lord, we can catch hold of something of the sublimity and the simplicity and the power of what is happening when we listen. Listen to the words of Jesus. He's a king, all right, but not the way we wanted him to be. The king reveals his kingship when they have crowned him with a crown of thorns and the blood trickles down his face. And they array him in a scarlet robe, a gorgeous robe, and mock him. But he endures that mocking for you, and he endures it for me, so that those of us who claim to be his followers, who assert that we have taken up his cross to follow after him, and have taken up our cross to die to self, need not be surprised when sometimes we too are mocked. When they let him out to crucify him, his words teach us perhaps greater than anything else what we need to know when we come to take the Holy Supper. His words teach us that he is a king, a king who rules from a cross, A king who has great authority and power. Or even when they stretch him out on the ground and take mallets and begin to drive nails into his hand. He can look into the callous face of a Roman soldier and look up to his Father in Heaven and make a prayer. Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is a king, all right, and he makes a prayer. A prayer for those who are driving nails into his hands and into his feet. For those who will lift him up between two criminals, For those who have spat upon him and those who have mocked him. And still he keeps on saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And what does this word from the cross tell me when I come to the Holy Supper? It tells me that though my sins may be great and many, that I have a Father in heaven whose love has been revealed in Jesus on that cross, which is so great that I may claim his forgiveness and know that it reaches to me tonight in Gainter Chapel. That it reaches to all the secret places of my mind and heart to take away my sin. I've often been down on the beach near the sea. Sometimes after great crowds of people have been there. And I've seen the beach littered with all kinds of bottles and cans and papers and then I've watched the tide come in and it moves in powerfully and inexorably. nothing can stop the tide, it's coming and then the tide begins to draw away all that trash and take it away And the love of God reaches to me through the cross of Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sin. We are told in the gospel records that both of these men at first cast abuse at Jesus. But as one of them hung there, he began to think about him in a different way. And as time grew on he began to realize that maybe he really was the king that he claimed to be that there was something different about him he was not cursing the people who had nailed him there he was not swearing in rebellion at the bitterness and injustice of god in allowing this to happen to him but he had prayed for their forgiveness and so we are told, and one of the criminals which hang there railed at him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering him rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. His hands were nailed to a cross. He could not do any work for Jesus. His feet were nailed to a cross. He could not run any errands for Jesus. But all that he could do, he did. He prayed, Lord, remember me, just remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Lord magnificently answered that prayer. He said to him, truly I say to you, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. There is a sense in which we do not know about other people and whether they'll be in heaven. But here's one that you may be sure of. For Jesus said today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. That Jesus would take him home, home with him. In the first petition, he prayed to God to forgive his enemies. In the second petition, The prayer is answered as he extends that forgiveness to this man who is there. And he becomes a witness for Jesus. Not long ago I heard a man say that this thief on the cross had done nothing but blow smoke into the face of God that he had lived up his life and all that he had done was just blow out a puff of smoke in the face of God and had died and repented at the last moment. What good did he ever do? The man whom I admire very much replied to him and said, that thief has probably won more people to Jesus than you could have ever won in all your life. And you would do well if you could win as many people as he's won. Because he shows us hope. Two thieves died that day. One went into the presence of God. In keeping with the promise of Jesus. The other did not that we know of. One went there so that all of us might know that there is hope right to the last breath that we breathe. The other apparently did not so that none of us would presume to wait until that last moment. This robber becomes a witness for Jesus. Then the third word which Jesus speaks is one of those words which deeply touches us. He looked down and he saw there beneath his cross, his mother, Mary. He must have loved her dearly. When he was 12 years old in the temple, he had to tell her that he was different. That he had to be in his father's house and about his father's business. And what he was saying was too much for her to fully comprehend at that time. There were other times when he had to say things that must have baffled her. But I'm sure that when she looked up weeping at those hands which had never done anyone a wrong, those hands which had touched lepers and made them clean and blind men and made them to see and raised up people even from the dead and had fed the hungry and yet they were cruelly nailed to a cross. She remembered that when he was a tiny little baby in the temple, Simeon, that old saint of God, before he was to depart this life, Had told Mary that a sword would pierce her heart and that day she understood what Simeon had meant. Jesus was not only her son he was her Lord and yet he did not forget his earthly relationship to her and he performed almost a solemn ceremony there. He said to John Son, behold your mother. And he said to her, Mother, behold your son. He wanted her to be cared for. And it's a wonderful thing for us to remember that commandment of God, Honor thy father and thy mother. The strangest of all the words of the cross are the fourth words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama Sabachthana. By this time, he was beginning to cave in through the pain of hours of excruciating agony. Eli, Eli, lama Sabachthana. They thought maybe he was calling for Elijah, some of those soldiers thought. Someone else said, let's see if Elijah will come and deliver him. But he was calling out My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? From the 22nd Psalm. He was calling out those words because he was forsaken for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He became our scapegoat. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in that moment, which no one can possibly imagine, he lapses back into the language of his childhood and offers up that strange prayer to God which tells us that no matter what will ever happen to us in this life, we will never, never be forsaken by God. He was forsaken so that we never wouldn't be. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished and that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. He is truly man, and truly God, and his suffering is real. And in John's record, he tells us of his plea, I thirst scorched by that blazing sun for those hours that he was there. Someone took a sponge and dipped it into some sour vinegar-like wine and put it up on a reed to his lips so that he could moisten his throat. And he was able by that moisture which he received to gain the strength to be able to call out the next thing which he would say in the sixth word from the cross. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, (coughs) he said, it is finished. Telestine. It is finished. The words that an artist would say when he has completed a picture and it's perfect. The words that someone would say if they, a farmer, if he looked at a perfectly born little lamb. It's perfect. It's complete. Jesus said it's finished. So few of us in life ever finish what we start. He said it's finished. Full atonement was be made for our sins. And then the seventh and last word. When he had cried with a loud voice, not a mumble, but with a loud voice, he cried, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. And John adds the words of an eyewitness that he bowed his head like one who is king and who has let go of his life on purpose that we might be redeemed it was a shout of victory a shout of victory that we can claim when we take his supper and need it means that all that He has done for us the full atonement which has been made we can claim and when we take the elements tonight as Dr. Wilson has read to us a moment ago it's a supremely serious matter because we are saying in effect you have given all that you have and are for me and I am giving all that I am and have afresh to you. Let me say this in closing. Not long ago, that marvelous Polish man, John Paul, was elected Pope. Do you remember when he went to Poland? The communist government did everything they could think of to make it difficult for Christians to come and hear him preach sermons and say the words of the gospel. They deliberately scheduled only the place where he could be as a very difficult place for others to reach. They tried to make people to work on those days. They wouldn't allow cameras to pan out over the crowd. And yet five and six and seven hundred thousand people were coming to hear John Paul speak. And do you know where he performed what we would call communion of the Lord's Son? On the railroad tracks at Auschwitz. On the railroad tracks which had borne millions of the victims of hate and evil to death. Any other thing that had been done on those railroad tracks would have seemed terribly trivial. A tirade against tyranny, or some little speech delivered. But to go there, and react the broken body and the shed blood of the Savior speaks eloquently because that tells us that he when he died made it possible for us so that we would never die that we might have victory over sin and death but it requires a decision. We're going to sing a hymn of preparation. It's called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross On Which the Prince of Glory Died. My richest gain I count but loss And pour contempt on all my pride. Can you sing those words and really mean them? can you really think were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small love so amazing so divine demands my heart my soul my all if you can you take the holy supper that is seen together the hymn numbered one hundred and ninety-eight when I surveyed the wondrous cross.